in this episode, we say that while Israel is warning peaceful Palestinians to get out of the Gaza Strip, that they aren't actually allowed to enter the rest of Israel. We are pleased to note that that isn't actually true. Please note the correction, and now to the episode. Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. second in introduction, first in your hearts. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, we, we know why y'all keep coming back. Uh, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it's it's funny. Um, one, you know, um, I guess now's a good time. You know, we, you know, I, I'll, I mentioned it again at the end of the episode. I know that because we've already recorded the end of the episode. Reality shattered. And um, I'm just I'm just like <laughs> blowing everybody's minds. Um, but uh yeah, so we're 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 gonna drop a little preambling now. We don't have a ton to say, but we wanted to make sure that we say something. Um, because there's a few things in the news that we probably need to talk about. And uh and also we're not sure when the next time we're gonna be doing a preambling is. Um, because uh I'm moving. I am moving from my house. We have to pack up all my all my junk, leave this room that you've seen multiple angles on, and uh and uh, go find a new place to record in a new house, um, in a new city, in a new state. As I, uh, as I, and, and as I look for a new job, and I try to plant a new church. So much newness, um, and and so South Dakota cap. South Dakota cap. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I did the math, and I think I would have to live in South Dakota like thirty some years in order to equal how long I've lived in South Dakota mm -hmm. as how long I've lived in Iowa. So I will still be an Iowan in, in exile for a long, okay. long time. So I think I'll be good. I think I'll be good. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's more Iowa in this vein than South Dakota. And is that, I think that's how it's going to work. Um, okay. but <laughs> By that standard, I might still technically be in Arkansas. Um, <laughs> barely. Oh boy. <laughs> We would call you a Canadian all this time, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So it might be shocking to anyone who's ever watched the video and seen what I wear <laughs> <laughs> that I still have a lot of Arkansas. Yeah. Have you ever given any indication of Arkansas? Uh, yeah. I remember you introducing yourself as AKA Sue we go pig once. So, uh, I don't know. Well, not what I said, because that's not a thing. But anyway, sure. Sue something, something, something. Pig. Woo pig. Woo yes. pig. Razor something. Yeah. Razor wire. Yeah. Uh, so yours is the state that actually raises pigs. You've never heard someone call a hog? What's that? What's, sorry, what? Your, your state is the one that actually raises pigs. You've never yeah. heard someone call a hog? Like, yeah, actually yeah. call a hog? So it's it's yeah. woo pigs dewy basically. Oh, I don't know. We don't really call our pigs. We just um, raise them and slaughter them and make money on them. Okay. And then feed the world with them. That's kind of I, you know, but like you know, I I was raised to do the whole thing where you're like, you know, what do you do? You smell the air, you smell the hog confinement. You go, what do you say? It smells like money. Everybody money. knows that. Everybody knows that one, right? Uh, if you've okay. lived in the Midwest for any amount of time, yeah. Actually, um, did uh, I, I see this is getting the smell weird. Of oil is usually what <laughs> gets oh. people to say that. Here. 
Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this this is getting really we're getting really uh, uh, biographical right now. But I actually did 4-H in high school, and I I, I, I showed pigs two years, two years, yeah, in 4-H, um, because I I uh, I did it the first time because all my friends did it, and they all hung out in the in the hog building. That's where all the friends did, and I was I always felt like the odd man out because I didn't have anything in there. And so I showed pigs and I was like the first year I was really into it. And I was like, like, I just, I get, I took them for walks. I fed them and I like, well, I mean, obviously I always fed them, but I did the whole walks around the building, like prepare them for showing and stuff like that. And I got really into it and I got nothing out of it. I got, <laughs> I got a blue ribbon cause everybody got blue ribbons and I got like the <laughs> bare minimum money back for like selling the pigs. And I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> And and also to add to that in the that was like my eighth grade year and then the next year was my freshman year and I stopped being friends with all those people not because they were like not because I started disliking them we just went different directions and so then the second year when I did pigs again it was like what am I doing this for <laughs> like, what am I even doing I don't want to hang out with these guys I mean I don't dislike them but the people want to hang out with her over here I uh, I'm making no money on this I'm not gonna win anything what am I doing. <laughs> So that was like I did nothing with the pigs that year. I a fed career them. in farming is not exactly presenting itself. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, uh, yeah. So you know, uh, another time, you know, funny thing. I I grew I grew up in a on an acreage surrounded by by corn on every side, and and they were all, and the uh, the corn was. This, this is what people expect of an island. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am. I am that kind of Iowan, and. Uh, <laughs> And my uncles all farmed all the corn that lives in an igloo. Yeah. So, yeah. People thought. <laughs> and I would go riding with, uh, with my, um, I go riding with my uncle in their combines while they were, while they were, um, uh, you know, harvesting. And, uh, I had a dog that used to race alongside and in front of the combines. And I was in the combine when my dog tripped. Oh no. Oh no. I'm not gonna say it wasn't traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, <laughs> ask me why I didn't become a farmer. Um, <laughs> oh, I can laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing that day. Um, no. Uh, in retrospect, it is kind of a funny story, but you know, it was good. Um, now I've just traumatized our audience and, and lost all of them. Uh, so, so, I mean, if that didn't lose everyone, let's talk about, let's talk about something non contradictory uh, not, uh, in any way controversial. Let's do, so, let's do a light and fluffy topic. What more alienating than, uh, dog murder? Hi, Wanka. Let's do something not alienating. Hey, uh, so what's going on in Israel? Oh, <laughs> Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no notes. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I guess we should start by 
saying that the Hamas attacks that that started uh, with the dawn of the of the Sabbath on one of the high holy days of of Judaism um, this past weekend are simply unconscionable. Okay, there there is there is no excuse or moral equivocation with they certainly appear to be intentional attacks to murder, kidnap, and rape civilian, purely civilian targets, including a, a peace, ra- peace rally, peace activist concert. Okay? So, um, so I want to start with that because that's a, it, it's going to be uh, I don't I don't want I don't want this to be framed as if um, as if we're making excuses uh, for that horrific attack that's not what we do here. We're we're the people who say there is no excuse for war. That <laughs> that um, that war is hell. It should not be inflicted on on people under any circumstances. Certainly, certainly, the the heinous and 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 we shouldn't even make a moral equivocation between normal war and this, which which is the intentional targeting of, of civilians for uh, the most depraved brutality, okay? Um, with that said, that's... Uh, we, we have constantly been critical of this... Uh, the world blipped into existence yesterday approach to foreign policy um, that somehow always seems to favor the warmongers. Um, and uh, and so we, um, we, we should talk about the things that happened before yesterday. But may, maybe can I start this... Uh, Big peace concert, peace rally right next to the Gaza Strip um, is a bit of this, like, you remember that couple who um, went bike riding across ISIS territory to prove that everybody, um, that, that, that all humans are just human and everybody, everybody, uh, everybody really just wants peace and harmony and and they were, of course, murdered by ISIS because not everyone wants peace and harmony because there are real monsters in the world. And 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 for for all the other things you can say about the Middle East and the U.S.'s involvement over there, over there, and all that, ISIS were monsters. They are, um, to the extent that they still exist, and and were monsters. Um, so 
so this this peace rally right next to the Gaza Strip kind of reminds me of that. Is like, yeah, you. This is a. This is a failure to days. The very common, um, very common, frankly, let's just say on the left, um, uh, the, the very common on the left mistake of thinking that all humans are just humans and that um and i guess i mean here we can tie it in to the uh the that viral video of uh the reporter and activist um who was stabbed to death in uh in bedsty um uh who just just an utter failure to um, uh, an utter failure to realize that yes, while while all humans are still human and everyone's worthy of of basic human dignity and uh, and everyone's made in God's image, we affirm that. It doesn't mean that humans are basically good. So there's this basic, there's this basic theological failure <laughs> wrapped up in leftist thinking. Yeah. Um, or the, I, I guess that undergirds leftist thinking that that humans are basically good. That that humanity is basically perfectible in some way, um, and that there's a a basic goodness um, at the heart that that almost almost just needs to be platonically drawn out um, of of all of all humans. There's this basic goodness there that um, well, it's actually actually does. I just taught about the Gnostics this morning in church history class, um, and. Uh, which doesn't tell you anything about what century I was teaching about, but it was the third century. Um, um, and uh, um, and so I, I taught about the Gnostics this morning in, in church history class, and there, there, there is almost this Gnostic idea that there's this this basic good soul that has undergone trauma, not yeah. just by being embodied, uh, but by but by being born black or by being yep. in a bad neighborhood or by uh, being fatherless, although that's not one they tend to focus on or, or by, by grow up, growing up in a poor home or by uh, having a poor education or whatever. Okay. Yep. Um, that no, no, but, but like you're, you're not like, I actually want to double, double down on that point that you're, you're kind of half making that is absolutely leftism. That is absolutely postmodernism is the Gnostic. This is why, um, Vody Balcom hero calls it ethnic Gnosticism because he's like, yeah, yeah th no, that's, that is literally like if po postmodernism asserts, there is no such thing as objective reality. There's only perspectives. There's only perspective. And so 
for them, and and it starts with this kind of like, okay, so we need to start giving other perspectives than just the dominant one. Which on one hand, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like it kind of it sounds really great at first. You're like, yeah, we need to see all angles on this. But really, what it becomes in in practice is the um the what do they call what do they call it in social just uh, in um in uh the social gospel um the epistemic um I think they call it something the epistemic um priority of the poor or something like that that's that's not social just um that's the uh um uh liberation theology uh yeah epistemic um what do they call it yeah yeah the the um oh dang i'm not gonna find it. it's not gonna come up with that but quick. you're talking about it like a standpoint epistemology that privileges yes privileges uh the yeah 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 form. it's absolutely that's like that's what it is is it's 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 uh you have a secret knowledge on by the virtue of the fact that you are a black person by virtue of the yeah. fact that you are a woman by the virtue of the fact that you are and this is where the whole you you cannot deny my pers- you cannot deny my truth as a black woman or as a black queer woman or as a and, and, you, and the way the more you can stack up these things the more you're raising your epistemological privilege like that is that is absolutely and and that is um um and that's what leads to these ideas of like yeah you can you know um like you yeah i, I think what you're referring to maybe you know and this is where like again because i'm a little out of the loop um when you're referring to that um activist and activist you're are you talking about the guy um who was like in on a street corner or on a, on a bench at 4 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. you can simultaneously say two things are true. On the one hand, um, you can say, and this is really where we're going to come back to again with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, conflict, is you can say at the same time, the guy's being an idiot by sitting at a park bench in this dangerous area at 4 a.m. You, you, like, the idea that, like, no, nothing will happen to me. You're dumb. You're so stupid. Get out of there. But also to say, like, at the same time, like, why is it that this is a natural thing to say? That there's a place, like, if I were to go sit, like, um, we don't record that far away from 4 a.m. in my, in my ear. Uh, and, and if I went outside and sat on a park bench, I'm not getting stabbed to death. I could go sit in our in the square in the center of our town, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to come away from that okay. Um, that there's that's something deeply unnatural, and so we can say two things. On the one hand, and I would say this this is my my big one of my big takes is there's always sort of a a disingen two disingenuous takes you can say with this. You can either say, uh. Again, well, let's go back to the Ukrainian war, shall we? Unprovoked war. It was unprovoked. That seems like a. That seems like a not an accurate statement. Unprovoked. Are we? We're saying that the Ukrainian war, like that, was the funny thing is like the Ukrainian war was unprovoked. We've been provoking Putin for decades, like for for a decade. Sorry, you know he hasn't been. But but, but also, the provocations, of course, are Putin propaganda. So yeah. if you ignore all the Putin propaganda, which is to say the provocations, then yes. it's unprovoked. 
exactly. Yeah, I mean, but like unprovoked, <laughs> like, but then also that's not, the, but then again, like when we say that, it's not the same thing as saying go Russia. Right. You know, like that's not the same thing. Obviously it's not the same thing. It's the same thing to be like, okay, so this thing that the Palestinians did is egregious and disgusting and awful. But unprovoked. Right. Like, I mean, if you, the only way, the only way people can get away with that is the fact that they're not actually paying attention to, to Israeli news. Like, like there's, there's stories almost every day of settlers in roving bands of vigilantes just outright murdering Palestinian homeowners, tearing them out of their house, killing them in the street, and then the cops, the Israeli cops, perform an investigation. And, you know, nothing ever happens. And and it's like, they well, of course it's illegal, and, and we way, don't encourage it. You end up blurring the line between civilian and and yeah. military targets. And then what right? ends up like, happening to this Palestinian house that they just murdered the family in? Well, uh, an Israeli family moves into it. Right. And, and like, you've got all of these, like Israel has been, ha- has been performing such egregious violence against the Palestinians, average everyday Palestinians. Like, honestly, like they do things that make the Jim Crow South look like a walk in the park. Like it's really egregious. Like if you just stop and 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 read some of the, I'm, I know that this is. It's funny because it's so obvious that even Israeli state newspapers, supporting newspapers, end up having to talk about these things. That it just happens daily. Like spend some time on antiwar.com and. Only don't look at the headlines. Don't look at their opinion pieces. Only look at their news aggregator about Israel for a couple weeks and see the way that Palestinians are treated in that country. It is egregious. It is awful. And, and their response was unjustified. Unjustified even at that. Absolutely. Let's, let's but that's not even what I was going to say. We don't have to play that um, game. Yeah. Uh, so, so look, yes. I mean, this is how the lines get blurred. I've seen that, by the way. I mean, it's no secret at this point that I uh, am in some in in some chat channels that are crawling with Muslims. Huh. Let's say. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, um, and I've I've seen that happen live. Where they're like, where where someone will say, but wait a second, these were civilians, and they'll say, right, but the the civilian settlers are armed and they kill people all the time and and all this kind of stuff, and it's like, no, 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 no dude, but that's not what they were talking about. They're not talking about the civilian settlers that are armed, but it's it makes it way too easy for those lines to get blurred, um, which which is, um, like I don't. You know, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to uh, dunk on the people who are supporting Hamas, as has become so popular. There are, I think, a lot of people are surprised at how many people are supporting Hamas because they're not being exposed to this to the other side. 
to be clear, supporting Hamas right now is unconscionable. But the reason there are so many people doing it is 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 because it's just way too easy to to blur those lines. And no one that no one knows enough about both sides to be able to sit down and 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 make those distinctions because for the vast majority of people who hear oh but the the settlers are armed and they kill palestinians all the time if that's the first time you're hearing that then you're not going to be good at making that distinction your your instinct is to say well no that doesn't happen and they know it happens they, the person you're talking to knows it happens and, and so you know you you've got two different realities um uh what was the what was the book on that one nation two screens or um uh how we're increasingly uh when it comes to the news specifically we're increasingly not living in the same reality because we're just we're seeing vastly different realities play out on the news and israel palestine is one of the best examples of of that it's it's maybe the best example uh of that is is uh uh people on different sides just don't have a shared reality don't have a shared set of facts to work from um so that that's one of the that's one of the big problems um but what i was also um what i was also going to uh point out there was um um what else was i going to point out there <laughs> well patrick has in the chat yeah, the book is One Nation, Two Realities, Dueling Facts in American Democracy by Morgan Marietta and David C. Barker. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, that that is what I'm remembering. Thank you, Patrick. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, now I'm trying to remember what you said that triggered this thought. Cause then I, then I thought I better talk about, <laughs> I better talk about this. What I just mentioned first before I forgot it, but now I've forgotten the thing I thought was going to be easier to remember. Um, uh, <laughs> just the, the, the atrocities that Israel does. And yet that's not the same thing as oh, justifying the Palestinian response. I do remember what I was going to say. So, so then, okay. So then the Palestinian response happens and uh, and Netanyahu says, um, if you're in Gaza and you're innocent, leave. Because we can't ensure your safety. We're coming back. We're hitting back hard. Um, we're, we're not going to be targeting civilians, but we're, we can't ensure the safety of all the civilians. So if you're, if you're in Gaza, leave. But my understanding is they're still not allowed to leave into Israel by Israel. They're not allowed to leave into Egypt by Egypt. They're not allowed to leave into Saudi Arabia by Saudi Arabia. 
or I think Jordan to Jordan. I think those are the bordering countries. If I'm uh, North would be Lebanon. Um, Jordan well, would be across yeah. the, the the nation. Yeah. But okay, I was thinking. I was thinking of the South. Not. I wasn't thinking of. I, I was thinking of a, across the South. It, isn't there a small connection point to Jordan there? I don't know. I I think of them as mostly across the river. Uh, the old territory of Amnon, Ammon, oh, Moab, and yeah, that Edom. would only that would only be on the west bank. That, yeah, that Jordan borders, uh, uh, Palestine. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's what I was. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. No. 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 There's not a. Yeah. So it's Saudi Arabia and Egypt in the south, and Lebanon in the north, and and Israel proper everywhere else. Yeah. So it's like, um, get out of there. Where are they going to go? Where Where do they go? Yeah. Where do they go? And by the way, if you get in a boat and start sailing into the Mediterranean, now the United States is going to sink you because we just sent a carrier group into the, we, whatever. The United States just sent a carrier group into the Mediterranean um, because that that's going to go great. But I mean, or an extra, I'm sure, I'm sure the United States constantly has <coughs> uh, naval forces in the Mediterranean because um that's what empires do um but um um uh but i i saw i saw the news that that the us is sending yeah um another group i can actually but i, but I mean like I, accurately so that i'm not talking out of, out of i think these statement. these like but these conflicts kind of taken at a larger taken at a, a larger view um, one of the things that like is, is kind of, um, it's be kind of, it's a meme for a reason, um, where like, they'll talk about things that radicalizing rightists, things that people do that are radicalizing rightists and they'll quote tweet it with the, the, with the phrase. And then for no reason at all, the Nazis won. Like, cause like there's just like, that's, that's kind of the, the logic is like for no reason at all, these radical rightists come up and start doing these things. And, and like in many ways, this is, this is somewhat ironic is that this is a battle between two, two radical rights. Yep. Uh, uh, radical rights of two different cultures. you got the radical rightists of the, of the Israel. They're the ones who are kind of in control of Israel. And you've got the radical rightists of Palestine who are kind of in charge, who are in charge of, of Palestine. And you've got a bunch of people in between who just, you know, you've got a lot of people in Israel who are not wanting the war. You got a lot of people in Palestine who are not, who are just wanting to live in peace. Um, and, and, uh, and there's, and, and, but the problem is this, this is what's happening. And this is every time, every time there's some kind of an escalation, you're radicalizing more of those normal people and making them, what's that? On both sides. On both sides, yeah, and 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 um, it, if Hamas it, would be normal, BB couldn't win. Yeah, if BB would be normal. Hamas couldn't. Exactly, exactly, and and um, this is just the nature of of these kind of conflicts, and the the reality is, this is the reality that no one can handle, no one likes, no one is okay with. 
And and honestly, it goes back to the the title of the book that Patrick drops in the chat and that you brought up earlier, is that this is not one country. There's only one. There's only one. Two possible solutions: either one side brutally defeats the other, because it has to be brutal. In many ways, honestly, the only reason we're talking about this Hamas attack is because it was successful. Like they're shooting. Well, unsuccessful oh, rockets all the time they try this all the time they finally succeeded and now it's like an egregious act of war by the what? but israel is succeeding in all their attacks all the time but like <laughs> so the only ones the only possibility is that one side brutally wipes out the other or some kind of a two-state solution which doesn't satisfy anyone and this is what we've been saying about ukraine and russia and a two-state solution with Hamas in charge just isn't an option. It just isn't. It's not but, an but on the other hand, the only possibility to defeat Hamas is like, you know, how do you defeat the yeah, the war party in a politic in a political battle by making it no longer a war? Like right. that's kind of the only way to do it. Yeah, you know, and and uh, it's kind of the same thing that we've been saying about Russia, Ukraine. It's not like we want Russia to take Donbas and. Uh, what's that stretch of land with the 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 bridge? Um, you know, it's been so long since we've talked about Ukraine because honestly, this just shoved Ukraine right out of our brains. Uh, but like, we've been saying, it's not like we want Russia to have these territories, but like, there needs to be a solution that no one's happy with. That's that's the way this has to end. That's the only way that these kind of things ends. Is that it? This is what diplomacy used to be. Now it's about how can we screw over the other guy on our way to defeating them in war. Like diplomacy is dead in the world that we live in. No one is the diplomats are just spies with fancy titles these days. Like that's all it is. Diplomats are just warfare by another means. And so the art of compromise, the art of of laying down weapons and trying to come to a, a solution that no one is happy with, but everyone is okay with. This is something that no one is willing to entertain or, or take seriously. And the same goes for this massive landmass that we call the United States of America. There's a big old landmass that just can like, we're like, we don't want to say this, but this is what we're heading toward. Yeah. Like look at Israel. That's our future. If we don't get off this ride, that is our future. I'm not uh, warding. This isn't civil war, or whatever fantasies or whatever. This is no. This is the future. This is what's going to happen. You keep radicalizing the right. You keep radicalizing normal people. It's going to become. This is what's going to happen. Either there's going to be a brutal war between the left and the right in this country, a brutal civil war, an actual civil war, not a war between two countries, one that seceded from the other, but an actual civil war. Either that, or we're going to have to learn how to go our separate ways. Like, we're going to have to come to a conclusion that no one is happy with. No one is sat fully satisfied with give away some territory to one side, some territory to another. Some people have to move to this area. Some people have to move to that area. This is the only solution. And, and, and I, I, 
I think that's what we have to look at things like this and say, and, and first of all, say that second of all, say, and let's never forget that the whole reason we're in this, um, the whole reason that we are here is because of the United States. The United States is causing, I mean, England also, but, but really yeah. the setting up of the, of the Israeli, the Israeli nation, settling of the Israeli nation and the war that happened after there is all Western supported. And it was a huge mistake. Right. So I, I mean, Sykes Pico, <laughs> if, 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 if you, if you're, if you're starting Starting this without starting with Sykes Pico, then, um, which was the the treaty not involving any of the actual landmass it was discussing. <laughs> no, no, no one from the landmasses being discussed uh, were parties to the treaty. It was a treaty between uh, the UK and France primarily, with the United States and the other Western powers, um, and maybe Russia. Must have been Russia um on board um but sykes was british and pico was french as you may have guessed from those names um especially if you realize that pico ended with a t that you don't pronounce um anyway uh uh so um so yeah i mean that's um that's where this that's where this conflict started um and uh and yeah that doesn't uh and, and so and and we need to be very clear we're that's what we mean when we say it's the us's fault it's it's the uk's fault it's the west it's the western powers's fault um not that Five minutes ago, Joe Biden let uh, Iran have money that actually belonged to Iran that hasn't been sent to Hamas. Uh, the the stupidity of the Republican attack it's it just shows it just shows me that that the uh, the anti-war right is the the elected anti-war right is every bit as much of just a fake grift as the pro-life right <laughs> was for instance <laughs> is uh um is like uh in terms of elected officials um that that these are not these are not people who actually are anti-war or understand the roots of the conflict they that's why they have to go back to five minutes ago and make up lies about this being Joe Biden's fault. Um, when that that Joe Biden, for once, as a U.S. president, did something that wasn't heinously provocative yeah. in the Middle East, which of course they're going to blame this this whole thing on, with no evidence and 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 it's literally just absolute made up crap. Um, but. But it's because it's because they're not actually anti-war and they don't and they don't actually understand the roots of the conflict. And they're, of course, never going to speak a critical word of Israel. So. They're anti-war, except for 
wars that involve Israel or the United States, which is to say most of them. <laughs> Although, did I, is there anything to the rumor that some of the weapons that Hamas used in the attack came from Ukraine? Uh, via, via the CIA. I've seen that. I don't know. I didn't I don't see know that. Anything. Okay. I don't know anything. I don't actually know anything about that. Um, let's keep an eye on uh, that folks. Um, and, and wait yeah. until guys, here's the deal. Here's what you, you, I know this is, this is kind of shooting from the hip. We're kind of like, there's no way we can know this. The only thing we can do is wait until we find out if the CIA is going to deny it. If they deny it, then definitely they did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind uh, of a, you know, what is it? Was it, wasn't it George Carlin? I don't believe anything until the government officially denies it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it's great. Um, <laughs> so, um, and and by the by, uh, the uh, it was the USS Gerald 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 R. Ford. Okay, that's harder to say than it seems like it should be. Um, the USS Gerald R. Ford aircraft carrier, and presumably its entire aircraft carrier group, um, is being moved into the Eastern Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. So, so um, which which Hamas has said they consider a provocative step. And so this is great. That, what could possibly go wrong? Um, so that, that's what I was yeah. uh, referring to. Um, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps not insignificantly, uh, uh, per, uh, perhaps appropriately when referring to the USS Gerald R. Ford uh, and involving aircraft, there was a bit of a stumble. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I would say, but but I gotta um, I gotta point out though. I mean, this wouldn't we wouldn't be discussing a topic unless we're also looking at uh, my Twitter feed. So okay. uh, I have I have three tweets. This would be at Iowan Cap Reborn at Iowan Cap Reborn, um, which I did not create in response to being kicked off as Iowan Cap. Did Correct. not officially did not. Also, justice for Iowa Cap. If you guys could all use that hashtag, uh, free Iowa Cap, justice for Iowa Cap, I'd really appreciate it. I, I was unjustly banned. Unjustly. I have an argument. Three arguments, in fact. Anyway, um, but I was an equal opportunity offender in this one. I want to point that out, that I went after both sides because I think both sides are wrong. And uh, here's the first one, uh, Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown. Um, had posted a very good question. Israel's our most valued, valued ally. Just please fill me in. What has Israel ever done for America? Why do American politicians act as if they are running for office in Israel? From where I sit, it looks like the U.S. does way more for them, but perhaps I'm wrong. And I responded, it's the one spouse is trying, the other is just taking a foreign uh, alliances. And that's... Um, I honestly, I'm just like, that, that is one of the things that you would say, like, what are, what do we get from Israel? We're told that they're our most important ally. What are we getting from them? It's a great question to ask. Like, um, in fact, one of the provocative things that I've, I've seen some of the, uh, more economically conservative, right. Uh, say, you know, they started calling, um, calling him them a, a welfare queen, which I think is a good move. 
Uh, I really think it's a good move, like calling Israel welfare clean, because in many ways they are. Like, the, I mean, what? So, like, so much of their budget comes from the from the United States every year. Um, the rest comes from tourism, which usually comes from the United States. Um, and and so you know that's why I always think it's. I've mentioned before that it's kind of funny, like how low of a percentage it is. Basically, an unreached nation from from a missiological perspective. Israel's basically unreached. You wouldn't believe that by being there. Like you walk in Bethlehem and you wouldn't believe it's a Muslim town based on what you see. Cause they know where their money's coming from. Sure. It's coming <laughs> from those wealthy American and English tourists who want to see the place where Jesus was born. And so that's what you get. Um, but, but yeah, that was the first thing that I wanted. I, I kind of posted the second thing. Well, let me, let me see oh. your, your uh, Clint Russell tweet and, uh, and raise you another. Um, oh. uh, because I, I, I really liked this one. He said, here's how it works. Media refuses to cover any stories that paint Nation A in a bad light. Repeat over decades. Nation B attacks back in a vicious fashion after years of abuse. Media covers it 24-7, interviews the victims in real time, loudly declares that this was unforeseen and unprovoked. Unprovoked. Anyone, anyone who dares mention the horrific prior acts of Nation A is painted as an apologist yep. for Nation B or worse. Oh, yeah. This applies to both Ukraine and Israel. No, Every... it does not justify the response. No, it does not dismiss the carnage. Yes, it does explain how you are being manipulated to support whatever the neoliberal puppet masters prefer. Yeah. I mean, None it... of these nations are America. Yeah. Stay TF out. And in, and or, or Or let's go back further. Afghanistan. Yes. Is Al Qaeda does it uh, does Al Qaeda exist if it weren't for the CIA? No. Does That's the Taliban respond uh, uh, as a response exist if we hadn't torn down, toppled their previous leader? No. Like if we hadn't taken down the Muj uh, Mu Mu Mujahideen. No, the Mujahideen were Muja were what became the Taliban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we hadn't supported the Mujahideen against their previous leaders. The yeah. Well, and against the Soviet invasion. Against the Soviet invasion. That's right. So Soviet invasion. Like, yeah, again, again like, we, we are, and if, if you have no memory of it past the last news cycle, this is why I'm always, like, the key to remaining anti-war. What do I always say, guys? Keep your eye on the ball. Keep watching it before it hits the news cycle. Look at it when it's on third page. And that's why antiwar.com is so important is because they collect all of the news of uh, all these these stories so long before um Imran Khan of uh of of um um Pakistan is in the news cycle i've been seeing something rumble long before libya hits the news cycle we've been seeing something rumble long before israel and hamas bust into this huge uh huge new phase of warfare we've been seeing the rumbling keep your eye on the ball and if you do and if you don't do that um find someone who does find someone who's willing to go more than 30 seconds ago to tell you what's going on in this country um and and just and not in a way that is so obviously propaganda if if it all seems again this, again there's another thing that i always say beware of convenient enemies Yes. If the enemy is too convenient, then they probably are being set up. It doesn't mean they're a good person. It doesn't mean that they're they aren't really a bad guy. But if they are the bad guy, 
Ask yourself why they have to be the bad guy. Why are we focusing on this bad guy? Um, not another. You know, the famous question of why did we have to go after the dictator of Iraq? Like, why didn't we go after any of the other dictators? They're all ruled by dictators. Why did we go after this dictator? Um, it was almost like there was something to be gained by toppling the dictator in Iraq. Um, the next thing, okay. I mean, the easiest one ever is, why did we care about some civil war in Yemen? And the answer is, we strengthened Iran by toppling Iraq so we owed Saudi Arabia a war that benefited them. That's and, it. And if you think that's conspiratorial, we literally no. have a sound clip of Obama saying exactly that, that. That we got involved in Yemen to placate the Saudis. Exact quote. And the, and the Saudis themselves have been even more clear about that than Obama ever was. But Obama put it right out there on the table. Yeah. Um, so did Justin Trudeau. Um, so yeah, yeah. uh, it's, of course he had to get China's permission first. Yes. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but, but, it, uh, I mean, that happens to benefit China too. I know you're joking, but uh, it happens to benefit China too. So, oh, yeah, yeah. um, um, there, the, uh, um, the, the Iranian, the Iranian side in that civil war is the side that doesn't want to make deals with China for the one belt, one road. Um, uh, and so, whereas the, the Saudi side to oversimplify in that civil war is the side that will make deals with China. So, I mean, you yeah. joke, but it's, it's also true. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is the next thing. Cause I'm an equal opportunity offender. This is me going after the Palestinian side. Um, or more specifically, their their defenders. Um, this this person, I have no idea who they are. Najma Sharif, I don't know. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna talk about this tweet too. Said, "What did y'all <laughs> think decolonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers." And um, first of all, a Somali savant from Minnesota is in their bio. Um, and, uh, I, but I, but like, this is interesting because, um, I, I, I quote tweeted it with a, with the following statement. I said, remember this when they call white Americans colonizers, Correct. like this is when they talk about decolonization, it used to be, by the way, it used to mean papers. It used to mean peaceful protests. That's what they used to mean, but it's almost like the left is a violent, is a, de facto violent ideology that cannot end until they've actually killed the oppressors, whoever they define them to be like, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to call the anti, the, the accusation of just them being anti-white, uh, a conspiracy theory is becoming more and more obvious by the day that this is. And so when they say things like this, what they're saying is this is what it means to be decolonizing. And they've been calling to, for decolonizing white people for a long time. Just remember Here's that. the striking thing to me. That tweet isn't ratioed. 
as of all although that's because of, they did cut off the, the followers they they they've uh only people okay. they, they've limited who can who can comment that that's true i don't know how long ago that was let's see but oh i um at, at press time there were Ninety-five thousand likes on this tweet. Yeah, almost. there are oof. Yeah, and there are only twenty-one. So the way people get around that is usually by quote tweeting it, and um, that the 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 uh, retweet ratio is not or the repost Correct. ratio is not um, is not overpassing it. No, I mean you're not wrong. So that's. That's that's the other that's the other part of that. But I mean, it's insane. Yeah, he's right. That is what decolonization means. Yeah, and and it's it's why when they try to teach decolonization to your kids, um, you have to stop them. Object, and then it's also why. Oh, I I wish I could. I wish I could avoid this because it's like be. It's like a broken record at this point. This is why, once again, shame on all of you, uh, big Eva people, for supporting this mentality. Like, do you see it now? Do you see it now? Like, this is what y'all were getting in bed with, with the social justice movements. This is what you were getting in bed with with the BLM activism. This is what you were getting in bed with, with the, with the, you know, let's just, you know, uh, let's just have an empathetic hearing. This is what you were getting into bed with. This is what it always was pointing to. It's what it was always moving to. And you were just too stupid to see it. Which again, as I've said, the big thing that it, it drives me, are like one of two things that are happening. Either they are intentional compromisers, like they are compromised they are themselves part of the leftist ideology or they are too stupid to be worth following because they're so foolish. They don't even read the literature that they're citing. They don't even, because it's always been this obvious. They've always been clear about this. It's never been in doubt about what this, the end of this is. The violent intentions of the left. It's never been in doubt. Y'all just willfully and blindly stumbled into it. Well, you know, uh, I would rather a, a, a black six than a white seven, right? Yeah. Stupid. Stupid. It, and, and it needs, it needs to be called out. It, cause um, and here's the last tweet that I made on the subject that I think is very important and why we, and ultimately why we had to comment on this despite the fact that we didn't want to. Um, I tweeted very shortly after hearing about it um, because I heard about it very late. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Actually, no, that's not true. It was, it was a while later. Um, but I wrote just a well, quick reminder. I thought, I thought this was popping off as we ended recording on oh, yeah. Friday night. Um, but, but I was like, I'm not bringing this up. <laughs> yeah. But I said, just a quick reminder that whatever you think about what's going on in Israel right now, it has nothing to do with biblical prophecy. Reread Correct. Mark 13 and parallel and stop saying ignorant stuff. Um, it's, 
whatever you think is going on. And I, I was actually, I, I was really impressed with the way my, my, my pastor prayed about it this morning. I, I'm honestly, I'll be honest. I'm not a big fan of bringing up things in the news on a Sunday morning. I mean, unless it's super dramatic, like the nine 11 event or Pearl Harbor, I'm kind of not a big fan of like, Oh, we just saw a clip of a, of a person being murdered and, uh, and it's going around. And I, so we have to say something about it on Sunday morning. I'm not a fan of that kind of headline chasing thing. And so I was a little bit like when he started, I'm pretty sure it didn't come up at all in my church. When, when my, when my, my head pastor got up, he, he can sometimes do that. And I'm, I, I don't always like it. And I've told him I'm not a fan of it. But when he got up and did it this week, I was actually very impressed with the way he dealt with it. He got up and he said, all right, now a lot of you guys, I, I know there's some people in this room who think of it like this. He said, I don't really believe that. I'm not really a believer that we have to support this nation or that, that, um, or that the year 1943 or the 1963 war or whatever, that it's some significance, uh, fulfillment of prophecy said, I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe that we have a special requirement to support the modern nation of Israel as if it is the historic Israel. He said, but all, but we do have a responsibility to pray for people when they are suffering and to, yeah. And, and so he, he took that approach and I was like, bravo. Um, of course, uh, th- that means I know that he ticked some people off at our congregation, but honestly, Maybe they need to be ticked off. So, um, but I, but I thought that this needed to be said. By the way, as Christians, our first priority is to pray for other Christians. Yep. Which maybe by now, because the Palestinian Christians have fled Palestine or or been murdered. Um, maybe by now there are more Christians on the Israeli side of this I, conflict. From what, I would, from what I understand, the Palestinian Christians tend to be more in the Israel side than on the uh, uh, territorially. Like they tend yeah. to be amongst the Israel side more than in the Gaza Strip area. Yeah, that. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, true. most of the Christian think- most of the Christians in Israel are Palestinians, right? And and there are way fewer of them than there ever were um, because of these policies. There because because they get caught between these policies. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, and I think I think a large portion of them uh, have gotten out, and a lot of that is because of Christian aid charities that have helped them get out. So I don't want to, but we have mostly as Christians ignored our Christian brothers and sisters in these lands. Um, and have supported their oppressors. And have supported their oppressors. And that, that, that is to our shame. Yeah, totally. Um, we we had this as like a possible. Do we have anything else to say on the subject or? or? Uh yeah, I, 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 just a just a little bit more. And so, um, okay, <laughs> I will bless those who bless you. 
does not apply to the modern nation state of Israel. Nope. There is zero, and I mean zero, exegetical, exegetical argument that can be made in support of that applying to the modern nation state of Israel. Um, th so, because that is so often used as the reasoning. Well, we still have to support, you know, whatever we can, we can criticize the way friends criticize if we have to or whatever, but ultimately we have to support Israel. Um, no, no, actually we don't. Now, look, again, I've said, I've said before, I do not believe that these two sides are morally equivalent. I don't. That doesn't mean that we have to support either of them, frankly. Um, I do think at this point, um, now that they're now that Sykes-Picot has happened, now that there is a Jewish homeland in the Middle East, and now, uh, and and now that you have one side that is pretty honest about the fact they want to they want to drive Israel into the sea, um, and. Um, it, it, so it, I, I understand that, um, I understand the impulse to want to take that side in the same way that I understand the impulse to want to take the Ukrainian side. It makes total sense to me, the impulse to want to take their side. But every time we like absolutize this, it's like, where do we stop? How, how much money do we have to give Ukraine before it's too much? And boy, if you think that's a reasonable question, look at how much every Western nation basically has given to Israel. Well, I can't speak for every Western nation. I, 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 feel, like, I feel like maybe that's not as common in say Germany, France, but um but look at look at how much the united states gives to israel look at how much canada gives to israel look at how much the uk gives to israel um and you do have to ask yourself like at what point <laughs> at what point have have we completed that duty of of helping them provide basic protection of of themselves cuz cuz i can understand that impulse but at a certain point um well okay at a in israel's case at a certain point so in in ukraine's case at a certain point you're just funding the immiseration of the ukrainian people for longer in my opinion and at a certain point in israel's case you're making it more possible for them to take more provocative steps, more provocative moves, uh, more abusive moves 
of the Palestinians and know that they have the military hardware to back it up. So that's, um, I think, um, I think people think that there's going to be this, that that what we're we're helping Israel with here is that there's going to be this vast Middle Eastern alliance um, that will include Iran next time, that will all gang up like like 1963. Um, what, sorry, was that 63, 67? Um, that will uh, the Six Day War that will all gang up on Israel, just like the Six Day War, but this time including Iran and um, and. and um, and and all this stuff, and that's that's just fantasy. Like that's that's not going to happen. First of all, they learned their lesson. Like <laughs> they know that that's folly, and it's not going to happen again. Uh, but second of all, have you noticed that these other Middle Eastern countries don't like each other? Like, <laughs> um, they're not going to team up on this. Have you noticed, by the way, that they also don't like the Palestinians? Like, remember earlier when I mentioned that they don't let the Palestinians into, <laughs> into their countries? Like, um, so, um, and, and in as much as Hezbollah, not Hamas, as Hezbollah is the one funded by Iran, that's going to make the rest of the Arab nations extremely suspicious <laughs> of, uh, of Hezbollah. So it, it's like, this is not this, this, this grand united front against Israel that, like, look, if I were an Israeli general, that would be what I would want a war plan against too. But, <laughs> and it's certainly what I would argue to the Knesset and to the US Congress and to the Canadian parliament that we need to be ready for. Um, so like, I totally get it. But then as policymakers, they need to realize the remoteness of that possibility and, and, and realize that, um, that, that this amount of military strength um is actually bad for the israeli people because it allows the israeli government to feel that they can back up much more provocative plays that are bad for their people so and um so okay so first of all, I wanted to say <laughs> that I will bless those who bless you has nothing to do with the modern nation state of Israel. Um, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You can kind of sell me on that. Now that itself was very limited in its scope <laughs> in terms of time. But in the, in the sense that... Um, in the in the sense that um, 
that uh, God continues to work in patterns. Uh, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And praying for peace, I'm always for praying for peace. Um, but that doesn't. <laughs> praying for the peace of Jerusalem does not mean. Um, praying for the nation state of Israel to drive Palestinians out of Jerusalem it doesn't. That's not peace. It, that, that's what they, they that was the what they said of the Romans that they create a desert and call it peace. That that can't be. That can't be. We 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 can't fall into that that kind of uh, word games where we where we call provocation and militarism and um, uh, and force peace. Um, so we can, we can actually pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which yes, I think can be applied spiritually to praying for the peace of the church, but I don't think is inappropriate to also apply to, uh, the, the landmass of Jerusalem, um, while we we've argued many times that 70 AD removed Jerusalem as as a, a truly unique point on the map for uh, Christians especially um, to recognize that this is this is the place where God did come this, that that um that god became a man not only did god become a man he became a jewish man who traveled to jerusalem as a faithful jew three or four times during his ministry <laughs> um and uh, and at least once before that um and uh and and that uh, and that, yes, much of God's plan for redeeming us as a people from every nation, tribe, and tongues who were once not a people but are now a people of God for his own possession, um, that that uh, much of that plan was carried out in Jerusalem. Uh, so, so to recognize... Um, to recognize that God did choose to do this through a body, through space, through physical locations. And Jerusalem was the physical location that, that he did that through. So that in that sense, Jerusalem is special to us. Not, I don't think really in any other sense, but, but in the sense that this was the place God used. So the same way that that Canadians might go to the plains of Abraham and say that this is, this is in a sense where our nation was born, or, um, uh, or Americans can can go to Bunker Hill, um, uh, uh, or Texans can go to the Alamo, right? Um, that 
so to that I, I think we I think we naturally understand and that's and it's good uh for us to feel a connection uh to those places. Um and and so in that sense, feeling a connection to Jerusalem, I think, is entirely appropriate to a Christian. Um and 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 so feeling it a little more when when Jerusalem is in turmoil. I, I think that's I think that's understandable and that's fine. I don't want to condemn people for that. So praying for the peace of Jerusalem is fine. But let's pray for actual peace. Right. <laughs> like not for a desert called peace. Yeah. Um so that's that that's that's kind of the <laughs> um those are the two verses of scripture that I felt have been most abused over the last 48 hours or so um, that I wanted to uh, um, that I wanted to just talk about what what I think uh, the actual <laughs> faithful biblical reading yeah. of those um, are because it's I, I think it's so easy to get to get caught up in the emotion and then and then we we don't correct um we don't correct this this slippage at the time and then these verses don't particularly come up all that much otherwise and so people start to believe that this is what they actually mean <laughs> um and 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 so, yeah, I think it's important that while while these verses are being used, we um, uh, uh, we we point out uh, that they're being misused. Um, so yeah, that's my. I think that's all I really um, wanted to add. Let. Ex is that one more time with emphasis? This is not America's problem. I know that sounds callous because we look at we look at um, two hundred eighty plus was the last number I saw um, killed. Um, uh, the, the most Jews killed on a single day since the Holocaust was was the number I saw and mm. and obviously the immediate impulse is that that's everyone's problem um and again I understand the impulse but how many times do we have to do this? before we realize that we're not helping yeah we're we're we're, we're not um i mean you <laughs> you called them welfare queens and in in this sense i think that's that's right is in this in the same sense that you're not helping someone on welfare by by continuing to um to 
with no strings attached, with no expectations, continue to support their um, the the degradation of their home and family. Um, so and um, yeah, so I think I think we can be. I think we can be horrified by the death and the suffering on both sides without without both sides in it without <laughs> in that sense without saying without saying that these are equivalent um and um and we can actually we've got to actually start to ask we've got to actually start to ask questions of how do we actually get this to stop not 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 how do we get this out of the news cycle yeah but how do we actually get it to stop but i don't think we will because i don't think the anti-war right is actually anti-war mm -hmm. um and i don't think the israel hating left will actually <laughs> will actually do anything to uh uh to stop foreign aid going to israel Right. Right now. Um, so here we are. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I don't really have anything else to add, and that's pretty much all we have had to talk about. I mean, we were like, maybe we'd talk about... Uh, we were like, maybe we'll talk about that whole speaker thing, but all I really care about is fight, 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 fight. Fight. Uh, I'm just loving it. Just keep fighting. Uh, I think I always thought Kevin McCarthy was a snake. So for for Speaker of the House, you do not have to be American to be the Speaker of the House. So I I will, if called upon, I will serve. Yeah, um, I love how everyone always brings up that you don't have to be a member of the House to be a Speaker of the House. Man, wouldn't that be great? I you don't think actually be an American. You don't have to be. Yeah, I think. It's. I think it would be hilarious if Donald Trump became a Speaker of the House. That okay? Yeah, that would be. That would that be would hilarious. Be, that would be very funny. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's really all. I don't really have anything to say about that. <laughs> I think it's fun. I love the fight. Um, but yeah, I I would definitely say like starting now, I am starting the campaign. Uh, Jeff for Speaker of the House. So, uh, I think this is the leadership we've all been clamoring for. <laughs> oh, but you know, I think, uh, you know, we got, we only got one topic, but it filled our whole time. Do, what do we say? Is it time to go to the book? I, I think it's time to have gone to the book. We're gonna to go to the book, by which we mean we have already gone to the book. We're gonna place that haven't gone to the book in the this place. Time is not real. That's really the what we're saying. Time is not real. It is an illusion. Uh, but for you, we're gonna to go to Drosselmeyer, the dance of the Nutcracker. <laughs> All right, we're. Done. We're doing Drosselmeyer, and uh, uh, if you're wondering why we're laughing, and we're, it will and be. We're doing great. 
it will be uh if you're wondering why we're laughing it will be at the uh at the bonus portion at the end of this episode look forward to that um (laughs) (sighs) so we're doing chapters uh just hold on we're doing 16 and 17 uh is that right hold on 16 17 yeah 16 17 i'm doing great uh did i mention (laughs) i'm moving uh (laughs) it may have come up oh boy <laughs> uh so we're looking at chapter 16 and 17 and um there's a lot of uh interpersonal dramatics in this in this uh in these chapters um so at the end of the last chapter um fritz ticked richard off of course it's because richard was being kind of a jerk to him that's been kind of a theme here is that a lot of the people who are involved in the war and you can kind of understand why they would be jerks to fr- uh to draw some wire, but you're like, but you're also like, he just explained to you that he got pulled out of his world into another world. You know, like, cut him a little slack there, bro. Uh, <laughs> um, and also he seems, I'll say this, that, that Richard seemed a little bit um, unreasonable about what he expected from wizards. Um, he said, like, kind of being like, you could have snapped it all away with your, with your finger. Like, that. I don't know if it's that easy, bro. Like, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, but anyway, here he decides he's going to visit his old pal from school, uh, Prince Edward. Chapter 16 begins with that. Um, so he gets directions from the guards before they can be told that he's a persona non grata. And uh, then he hops into a cab or, uh, you know, carriage that takes him... Uh, to kind of a modest house. Like, while Edward is royalty, he's not living like it. Um, in fact, he's got some... In, in fact, uh, it seems like he's got um, a bunch of... Gu- uh, not guards. Uh, servants. But it's almost, like, embarrassing to him. Like, he just kind of keeps not letting them serve him. Uh, <laughs> um, but Edward is excited to, to see him... Uh, him and his wife, Eleanor. Um, but he, he actually, um, this is, this is um, interesting is that he ends up letting it, letting it slip and really not even letting it slip. Like just boldly telling his friend finally that he is a wizard, um, a member of the order. And, um, You know, because, uh, and, and I don't remember why. I, again, I haven't read this. I read this for last week, and then I forgot oh, yeah. to reread. So, he's just, he he just wants to tell him in, in the yeah. course of explaining what he needs, why he's been gone, and what he needs to accomplish. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's right. And, and, um... I like I like how Edward is like go back to that bit where you said you were a wizard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then so to to prove it, he lights his pipe. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And then he fast travels him, which would to be like convenient. Five locations in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he he brings him up to speed with everything. 
because I think he wants a little bit. He wants actual information, and that's what he didn't get from Richard. And it's clear he's not going to get any more from Richard. Richard is just kind of a bitter old man who, uh, you know, has seen too much. Um. Oh, hey, Patrick. This is giving away the fact that we're recorded this first and not second as it comes in the episode. The fact that I just greeted oh. Patrick. Uh, although, although I think the uh, bumper at the end of the episode will also <laughs> give that away. So. Oh, illusion <laughs> shattered. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, we, we learn a little bit more. So basically it is, yeah, the, the Central Kingdom's... Uh, what is it? Um, so we we find that they okay. So the battle that was being fought when you left was the start of the war. The Central Kingdom lost to the resistance and the Northern forces. They sacked the capital, burned a lot of it to the ground. So it seems that actually the North was doing very well, and so it was actually the North who sacked the capital. Capital. Because I remember, I remember, I kind of floated out there. Is this a Nero burning his own territory? Yes, you thing. Did. And um, and I guess it's still possible because basically, what he all he says just Edward, and is, this is just Edward's viewpoint. This is just Edward's viewpoint, and and they had pulled the the, the Southern Army back, um, thinking the war was over. Um, but then the Tsar makes the an alliance with the Western Kingdom. They attack the North and conquer it. Um, they killed Queen Sigrid and her entire family. Um, and then he wiped out the Ping clan in the Eastern Kingdom. And remember, I think we met one, a woman named Ping in, in um, the last book. She was, oh, yeah. she was the one who nursed him back to health after he right. was stabbed by the Lignumort. I had forgotten that, but yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but then, yeah... Uh, then of course, then the war begins again. Uh, yeah, and and it um, you know, Fritz does does kind of think about the fact that like you know, what is it? Uh, Fritz puffed on the pipe and says, "I get the I get the sense Richard doesn't want peace." Edward shrugged. I don't know. His pride has been wounded, and he is bound and determined to get revenge against the Central Western Alliance. Um, Fritz chuckled, and this is an interesting note that he made. Had Richard come clean about Perrin all those years back, Baroda would have discovered Farouk's abuse, Boreas' treachery, and maybe even Peabody's true mission. Given the timeline, he may have even been able to assemble the other members of the Order to help him put a stop to it all. That was an interesting little note, you know, the, the what-ifs yeah. and the could-have-beens. Uh, um, you kind of wonder how far is it going to, like... I don't know, just a... Yeah, I wonder if that's going to factor into the story later on. Um, but yeah, after talking to Edward, he, um, he decides to head over to the stall bombs house and he brings with him, uh, the new nutcracker, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, and, 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 um, you know, once again, he, he meets Fritz, uh, and Fritz, uh, And again, uh, Fritz and Katarina, or little Fritz and Katarina, um, and um, she mentions that that the, her husband is probably on his way back from the palace as we speak, um, and then 
offers to wait in the dra drawing room. Um, and then Clara uh, comes down and, and she's um, she's being a little bit like this is where she, she's like playing. It seems like she's playing grown up a little bit here um, because uh, if I remember right, the last last chapter again, I, like I said, we read it last week. <laughs> and I and I just and I forgot to read and I I just failed to reread it today. Um but last week we mentioned how Clara has is being a little bit um cagey. Like she said she wanted to talk to Drosselmeyer about something. And now it seems like she's playing a little grown up, maybe even being a little bit reserved around Drosselmeyer. Mm -hmm. Um but Fritz um Lil Fritz is really excited about his new sword and he really wants to see Drosselmeyer's sword and he wants to, uh, uh, he's, he's really into sword fighting. He's, he's a little, little soldier boy, which means, you know, a boy, but, um, you know, <laughs> uh, but then Fritz, there's, there's a moment where Fritz steps over the spot where general Andoyevich had been killed and tried to push the scene from his memory. And so asks uh, Katerina, what do you know about the pre of the previous occupants here? She looked around and that I thought was an interesting detail. Like, I think maybe she knows more than she's saying, which right. obviously she does. This house was empty for quite some time. My husband secured it shortly after we married. He told me there was a scandal or some or something political with the family and they were all killed during the war. Um, but yeah, and then, um, Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. The the big next thing. Um, she does mention. Okay, this is an interesting detail. Is that Katerina, um, is is talking about something weird is going on with Clara, and that one of the things is that she she started stealing things. And um. And, and and that's an interesting detail, or that's an important detail. It's going to come back, so we need to note that that, that Katarina has, or Clara has begun stealing things. Um, but then Dad comes home, and and this is like it's it's a very uh, dramatic scene and really like cinematic. I, mean, I think it would be really interesting to watch. Um, yes. But but we've kind of also seen it coming, <laughs> yeah. Because of course, who walks in? It's Alex Stahlbaum. the The general Stahlbaum's first name is Alex, because it is France. Um, and of course, and and uh, France shook the outstretched hand and says, uh, "And Drosselmeyer, you said." Um, so they're <laughs> they're playing a little bit at uh, pretending, yeah. Um. So actually, Katerina watched the tilted exchange with interest. Do you already know each other? No, Franz replied immediately. Um, yes, we've met. Fritz overlapped his <laughs> brother's response and added, a long time ago. You may not remember it. Um, Franz stood next to his wife. You'll have to jog my memory later, though. Um, so, so what brings you here? Fritz searched for words. I've been searching for someone who was in the Central Guard years ago. A friend, well, more like a brother, actually. And I figured you might know where to find him. Um, and uh, 
France responds, there have been thousands of people in the guard over the last 20 years. What makes you think I'd know him? No reason. This was the starting place, Fritz replied. Um, and, and, but then this is when the, when, uh, but then Fritz is, is egging on, uh, cause he wants to see a sword fight. Um, and, and, uh, to his great pleasure, they decide to do it. And so Fritz and Franz or, or Alex Stahlbaum and Drosselmeyer, uh, are going to, uh, decide they're going to fence the sword fight. Um, which, uh, uh, which again, another great, another great fight scene. Um, but it, it ends with, um, it ends with, uh, with Drosselmeyer throwing the fight because he wants, uh, he wants his brother to look good in front of his son, which, you know, that's a very gentlemanly thing to do. Uh, to to let him to let him be his son's hero, um, and everything it's it's so great great it's so great watching um, uh, Fritz's sort of equilibrium shift as he starts realizing that this family he's been kind of falling in love with a little bit like he really likes them a lot is is actually related to him <laughs> that Clara's not just a, a cute little girl who you know he wants to help out but is actually his niece that Fritz is not just a, a spunky little boy, but is his nephew um, because then they get, and then they get to have a, a nice little conversation between the two. And this is where we find that. Um, oh, oh, but, but first there's a conversation between Clara and him, but I don't actually want to come back to that um, because yeah, um, Fritz and Franz, they, they have a little, they finally have a chance to have a conversation. And what it shows is that, um, is that unlike his attitude toward Drosselmeyer the last time they met, um, Alex seems to have forgiven him. And he seems to even have uh, cooled and, and, and uh, seems even in, in t intent on helping him, even, right? Like, the, the, yeah. I would say that. There's, yeah, there's an edge to it, unlike the sword. There's an edge <laughs> to it, um, for sure. I mean, you see that in the fight. You see that in his eagerness to fight, and yeah, and in the ferociousness of the fight. Yeah, um, and uh, um, uh, and yeah, and how much he puts into it and everything. There's definitely an edge to it, but, but. There's not the hatred. And obviously, like, Fritz saved his life by almost drowning him. But yeah. <laughs> Fritz saved yeah. his life. <laughs> yeah. Though it's interesting and because... Obviously, he named his son after him. Yeah. So. And, and in some ways, that helped him, too. Like, remember remember the general... General Andoyevich had been caught as a traitor. Um right. And so it's only a matter of time before Alex would get caught up with that, you know, being his son. Um, and so in many ways it actually helped him because what ends up happening is as he is dropped into the ocean in the middle of the Southern kingdom, um, he's gone from the central lines. He's, uh, assumed to be dead or, or deserted or something. And so uh, deserted at first and then, 
And then assumed dead. Yeah. Yeah. Assumed dead. And so then he kind of comes back and he's able to kind of, uh, start from the ground up in many ways. He starts working for, what is it? He starts working for a carpenter. Is that right? Yes. A carpenter. And that's where he takes on his, his, his surname Stallbaum, And then he actually gets, um, drafted into the army to go fight again. Yeah. Both both of them do. And then, um, his boss slash adoptive father dies in the war. And so he comes back and assumes his post. And of course, because Alex has, you know, his, his adopted father was a general. He's already done the whole song and dance of the military, but all the people who he knew before have died. He was able to climb the ranks very quickly, which is why he is standing here as a general standing in his own house. Uh, cause he was able to claim his own house as a general, uh, for his, for his service. And, and so, yeah, so things have kind of gone well for him. And he, and of course he marries the sweetheart that he had mentioned to Fritz in the second book and, and has two beautiful children and things are kind of going really well for him. So you can see why he might say like, you know, yeah, you dropped me in an ocean, but things kind of worked out for me. (laughs) Yeah. Does. Okay. First of all, I need to point out that he hasn't done the whole song and dance for that. See the derivative property called the Nutcracker Ballet. Um, the uh, I hear it has some similarities to it. To yeah. the book. Um, the, uh, um, uh, but the uh, but secondly, okay, do we think do we think that Katerina knows? That he was Andoyevich. I think. Or... I think he ha- She has to, because they had started getting to know each other as Andoyevich. Okay. So I, I think. That's I think she would have to. What I thought too. That's what I thought too. I think he had been courting um, her before. So she know. Okay, so she's the only one who, she and Fritz, are the uh, and and Katya. Um. Yeah, Katya would know. Uh, Katya got dropped in the ocean with him, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that bonds a person, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so, so she and Fritz and Katya are the only ones who know sure. yeah. that he's yeah. Alex Andoyevich slash Franz. Yeah. Yep. Yep. God, Franz Nicholas. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, yeah. And of course Peabody couldn't tell anyone cause he's dead. Yeah. Nikolaevich. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, um, and, and it ends with kind of a, a little bit of a veiled thing where he's, he's kind of challenging him to go to go stop it directly by going to the czar and yes, doing something about it, which that's implied what's going to happen next. And of course, you know, just glance at the first page of the next chapter. And we know that's probably what he's going to, that's exactly what he's going to do. Um, uh, and also he helps him to kind of, there's a lot of really good review, like a, a good plot review going on. The conversation serves as a good plot device for reviewing, what he needs to do next, you know, reminding us what he actually needs to do, you know, right. and, and, and even 
forming a list of what needs to happen. You know, he's got to find oh. the other medallions. He's got to find the Celestine. Another what find a magical person. Plan? What's that? Yeah. Sorry, I was interested in what his actual plan was. Yeah. In what in what he thought the order of operations was. So this was useful. For yeah. Me. And and um, you know, he needs a magical person that he can send into the Celestine because it's best if he can pull them out after they accomplish the goal uh and then you have to train them to fight because they'll need to fight and kill farouk um and so this is the plan find the medallions find the celestine uh find and train a magical person to fight the fight farouk and and this is and this is the plan it all sounds so simple when you list it out, except it's all very, very complicated because <laughs> he has no idea where to start finding the, the other medallions, has nowhere to start finding the Celestine, has nowhere to start finding a magical person, except yeah, maybe he Are does. Are there any recently revealed magical persons? Because uh, I said, oh, come back to Clara because this is interesting. Remember, her mom said she has been stealing things. Well, Clara claims that she's innocent. That really there's just a problem that she thinks maybe, maybe sleepwalking, she keeps accidentally taking these things. She mentions how after uh, Fritz had made a joke about how he lost his eyes, that um, he left out some cheese and the rats took his eye instead. Uh, and that has dr drove her to be very, very afraid of rats. Um, once again, connecting to the story of the Nutcracker. Um, but also she said then what ends what ended up happening is she fell asleep and then woke up and um what was it she woke up and then she had cheese she had a wedge of cheese in her hands and so um and she said all i can think is that the mice stole it and brought it to me because uh because of course like she's taking things from like locked up areas and right. she can't figure out why these keep happening to her um yeah but this is interesting is like uh yeah the mice have brought she said she keeps saying the mice have done this like the mice have brought me my mother's scarf a silver serving spoon a piece of olga's jewelry my mom thinks i'm stealing things and i think the rats are watching me trying to get me into trouble my parents lock me in a room one day and then the rats will eat my eye or continue eating all the way to my brains or my parents will walk me in a room one day. And uh, I think uh, I think it's pretty straightforward, pretty obvious to say, I think we found our magical person. And that fits very nicely with this um, not-so-well-known uh, ballet that I think this book is based yeah. on. Um, it's a, you know, kind of a niche ballet thing. If you're not into ballet, you've probably never heard of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's inside baseball stuff, you know. Uh, Literally, if you're not into ballet, it's probably the only ballet you've heard of. <laughs> maybe, maybe distance on life. It's like, uh, have you ever heard of a, uh, you know, I don't know if you're into Shakespeare, but have you heard of the play Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> or like Iowa Cap, who who knows nothing about basketball, but at least knows Michael Jordan. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Are the I've, I've, have you heard of this uh, football team called the Patriots? Um, <laughs> baseball team called the Yankees. Anyway, um, 
a hockey team called the no wait nobody knows anything about hockey all right so uh <laughs> i was wondering where you were going to go with that. <laughs> um but yeah is picking up nice we are at so we're at chapter 18 out of 27 we are zooming toward the end and um i'm gonna say i'll say you on the on the on the stream, uh, I will be moving next weekend uh, to my new home, so we will not be recording a preambling, which is why we're trying to get ahead on some uh, some full episode recordings because I'm gonna have to figure out where to put my my podcasting setup in a new house. Um, so uh, so please be praying for that. By the way, uh, if you could be praying for that as as we're we're doing that, um, but in a couple weeks, hopefully, we'll be back on. Although I don't. I don't know. We might have to figure out a new night to do these things because I might be working on Mondays now. But um, anyway, uh, but that means you have plenty of time to grab this book and get caught up to, to get caught up with us and, and join us as we read chapters 18 and 19. And, uh, and I got to say, that's probably the fastest we've ever gotten through Drosselmeyer. Um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, so yeah, uh, this feels weird way to, uh, it, 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 it makes it feel weird to end the podcast since we haven't actually started it. We're, we're just glad shattering reality. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, make sure you like subscribe, share, tell all your friends, tell all your enemies, tell all your, tell, tell, tell the mice living in your cupboard. I, that's what I was. That was the joke oh. I was going to make. <laughs> Tell the rats that keep framing you. <laughs> what I was going to say. Yeah. Those darn rats. Um, <laughs> but I think now is the time for us to say uh, enough preambling. Let's get to the show. Hello, grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, aka Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, not realizing that we were doing AKAs yet because I thought we were recording Drosselmeyer first. We are. <laughs> I literally said before you started recording, literally. I don't need an AKA yet literally. because we're doing Drosselmeyer first. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave kidding. it in. Leave it Re in. Reset. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it live. We'll do it live. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, lovely.